The Arwen Lewis Show is brought to you by OMAD Records. Find out more at omadrecords.com. As part of the Jeremiah Show, it's the Arwen Lewis Show. Arwen Lewis is a singer, a songwriter, and a guitarist. She inhabits our blue planet, but her beliefs belong in the celestial realm. As the daughter of Peter Lewis, a founding member of rock and roll cult icons Moby Grape, and the granddaughter of Oscar-winning actress Loretta Young, she's been part of the creative cosmos all of her life. She's a slice of sonic heaven, poised to enter your heart, mind, and soul. She's an artist, producer, and writer, and she's your radio host. Hello, everybody. This is Arwen Lewis, and you're listening to the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. Today, my very special guest is David Bash. David Bash is the CEO and founder of the International Pop Overthrow Music Festival. As a youth in the early 1970s, David Bash knew he had caught the pop music bug when he found himself unable to sleep each Christmas Eve as he anxiously awaited the broadcast of the WABC Top 100 the next morning. By the end of that decade, Bash had amassed a record record collection of more than 3,000 items. And though it's since been mostly converted to CDs, the collection has never stopped growing. In the 80s, Batch received a BA in journalism from New York University and a master's in psychology from the University of California, Irvine. Although he taught psychology at several community colleges throughout the 90s, the journalism muse continued to beckon, and in 1995, he began writing CD reviews for Yellow Pills magazine and Oddities magazine. Since then, Bash has written reviews and articles for magazines such as Amplifier, Buckfelt of Brains, Discoveries, Goldmine, Shindig, Ugly Things, and Entertainment Today, as well as liner notes for several CD releases. In August of 1998, Bash founded the International Pop Overthrow Festival in Los Angeles. Since that time, IPO... Um, as it's affectionately been labeled, has taken place in several cities around the U.S., Canada, as well as Liverpool at the world-famous Cavern Club, Stockholm, and Copenhagen. The aim of international pop overthrow was and always will be to create positive exposure for every artist who participates, to create a nurturing, cooperative environment between the musicians and their fans, and to bring pop music, as those of us associated with the festival define the term, to the hearts and minds of the mainstream public. Bash lives in Reseda, California with his wife, Rena, their cat, Ombre, and way too many CDs and records. Hello, David, and welcome to the Arwen Lewis Show. Hey, Arwen. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to get to talk about uh, your career and your background. Um, I'm so excited for this interview. And um, we're going to be sharing uh, seven tracks um, from international pop overthrow artists um, who have played over the course of um, the entirety of international pop overthrow. Um, But I thought we could start uh, just by telling everybody where you're from originally and by you telling us a little more about the station WABC. Oh, well, I'm originally from New York State. I grew up in Poughkeepsie, uh, lived there till I was 13, then moved down to Rockland County, which is a little closer to Manhattan. WABC was the top four, the most popular top 40 station in New York, 77 on your AM dial. And, the, and I mean, that's just the one I gravitated towards. And I was always... I was always really math oriented and the whole idea of charts, which is where I found out because on WABC, they would play their top, they would do their top 10 survey every week. And it's like, wow, this is cool. These songs are moving up and down this chart. Uh, And I don't know, there was just something really magical about that. More importantly, the music was great. The, The one thing about growing up back in those days is that you could, you could hear Led Zeppelin, followed by the Carpenters, followed by Jackson Five, followed by Ray Price. 
on WABC and for that matter, probably any top 40 radio station. And it was all music. There were no there were no labels. Uh, ironic, since I wound up doing a pop music festival, which is a t- totally labeled. But back then, music was music. And I learned, you know, I loved it all. And so that kind of, you know, ultimately, I started listening to more radio stations. And as I got older, gravitated to FM radio and album rock. But uh, which led me to start buying records on Moss. <laughs> I remember, I remember, I had like ten records from the Columbia Record Club, and I wanted to buy a turntable. I'd been using my my parents' stereo system. My mom said, "Do you really need a turntable? You uh, you only have ten records." I said, "Don't worry, mom. I'll have a lot more." <laughs> she she was, uh, I think she she ended up being in shock as to how quickly my collection started growing. Yeah, that's 3,000 records is an impressive amount of records. I have way, way, way more than that now. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Um, I definitely want to talk about that today. Um, but I wanted to ask first, uh, do you have a memory? Like, so you told us some of the first songs that you were listening to and um, what was playing on the radio. But was there one song in particular that really just like sparked your inspiration to really like go down the rabbit hole of pop music? Good question. Um, well, one of my first favorite songs was No Time by the Guess Who. Okay. Uh, which, you know, which is as pop rock as you can get. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, mentioning mentioning groups like the Jackson 5 and Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Water was another big early favorite. Uh, Didn't I by the Delphonics. Uh, was a huge, huge favorite early on. This is very early 1970. And it just grew from there. Um, I would say that maybe the first song that I heard where I said, wow, this is just beautiful, mind-blowing pop music was No Matter What by Badfinger. Ah, that song. I know. It's my favorite. And uh, that was right near the end of 1970. And I may have even used the word pop back then to describe it. I, I don't know. But um, it uh, that certainly was a huge inspiration to just, uh, you know, just explore a little bit more, I guess. Nice. And now a lot of people call it the first ever power pop song, which uh, I won't argue with them. I won't either. Like, there's really, there's nothing like that song. And I can listen to it on repeat, too. And I just, I always want to just keep listening to it. There's something about the way, their spirit and the music and what they're saying and, you know, the band himself. Um, Yeah, I'm right there with you. I wanted Um, to say Hey Grandma by Moby Grape, but that was a little bit before my time. Yeah. (laughs) I know, you know, of course, I've got... As I started learning more and more, I've learned much more about 50s and 60s music that I didn't hear at the time. But uh, yeah, 19 for me, I always think of 1970 as when it really all began. Nice. And I think that's when like power, like you're saying, like the power pop idea kind of um, emerged, like you just said. Yeah, before it was more like, you know, it was pop music or doo-wop or something you know that was kind of like bringing things into the psychedelic rock and then power pop just moves you in a different way um so would you say like your record collection is it do you have a vast array of genres and like from 3000 has it moved how much has it moved how much has it grown (laughs) (laughs) well i probably have around fifteen thousand cds Oh my gosh! Maybe about two, <laughs> maybe about two thousand uh, LPs and about wow. fifteen hundred uh, forty-five RPM records, kids. That's right. <laughs> but they started calling seven inches in the eighties. Um, yeah, so I've got a lot of those too. But um, I forgot what what was the original question. Oh, I was just going to oh, say. Oh, it's a multi-genre. Yes. Yeah. Well. Quite a bit. Yeah, I I get labeled as a power pop guy because um, most of what international pop overthrows stands for in the minds of people is power pop. But um, I I love it all. I mean, yeah, I'm a huge uh, R&B doo-wop fan. Um, I like early country music when when I I mean, well, not real or like 50s, for example. Um, They're certainly going on well before that. 
I uh, I love rock, you know, I love hard rock. I certainly have enough bands like Led Zeppelin in my collection as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a big classical or opera person, but anything related, anything related to rock and roll and to and to soul music, I, I'm I could be into. Yeah, nice. Um, and then you were saying, was it Cap- there was a Capitol record store? What was your favorite record store to go to? Um, like when you first started buying records? Well, I had to go. I had to go into uh, New York City for the best record stores. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, what was well, uh, St. Mark Sounds was a really good one where you could okay. get you could get records fair reasonably cheap. Um, so I would go there. Actually, um, right now I'm not very far from that. From that. Oh, nice! You're in New York City. I, IPO in New York starts in a few hours. So yeah, um, Farfels Records was a good collector shop. Um, Golden Disc. Um, the, the band, the records had a song called "Girl in, in the Golden Disc," and I always <laughs> I should have asked John Wicks, R.I.P. If uh, that's what he wrote the song about, because that was a that was one store where you would go in and you would see all these uh, import, we'll call them seven inches, seven inch records hanging on the wall. Uh, it was amazing because, you know, back in the day, you couldn't just walk into a record store and say, there's this record from the, the UK I really want. Do you have it? Now, most places wouldn't. Uh, and you couldn't just go online and buy it either so you really had to rely on some cool record shops specializing in that and golden disc was very good for that uh there were a lot of really cool record shops in new york at that time so are there any left now since you're there right now i remember well there was rebel rebel when i was there like eight years ago and they had my record in the window i got lucky (laughs) but um that was the only one i saw when i was in greenwich village but that was 10 years ago i mean are are there any regulars that you still visit or yeah slowly fading away here's what's happened i mean most most record stores from back in the day close shop Mm -hmm. um when when cds took over as the primary mode of uh, of listening um the record stores couldn't compete with places like Best Buy and Tower and all of that. So the boutique shops all closed up. Ultimately, now that now that vinyl has made a resurgence, a lot of new stores are, are springing up all over the world, really. Um, one of the things I love about doing IPO in so many different cities is just sampling the amazing record shops that they all had like we just did copenhagen a few months ago for the first time and they have some amazing places and not only that you go into one of the cool shops and they hand you a map of the record shops in that area that's and so what they awesome isn't it i wish la would do something like that i um, think you might be onto something there you go. I'm going to get that going. Well, Copenhagen's a much smaller area than, than yeah. LA, so it's doable. But um, yeah, Rough Trade Records is one of the only places now in Manhattan that stocks new and cool stuff. Okay. Um, there's also a really cool place called Tunes in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is just a very short train ride from here. Um, but there are there's collector shops that have sprung up around around here, like Academy Music. There's a two different ones uh down in the village and um yeah they're everywhere you look they've been springing back up now that vi- now that vinyl is becoming cool or has become cool again um, maybe you'll start to do vinyl for the ipo artists <laughs> a, a vinyl co- compilation yeah oh my God. special special edition <laughs> i can't my art director steve stanley keeps trying to get me to do that that uh, I can't even imagine the expense on something like I that. Know. But maybe one day we'll do like a, a retrospective. Maybe next year, because next year will be the 25th edition of of the compilation. So maybe we'll do a, a, a best of, of something yeah. on vinyl. We'll see. I'll buy it. <laughs> All right. And congratulations. That's really, Thank that's so, so great. Thank you. Um, I you know this is I didn't know this about you too that you have a bachelor's in journalism from New York University and a master's in psychology from UC Irvine. Um, that's I can totally see how these two um, uh, you know avenues of education um, 
can affect the way, you know, you reviewed music and the way you, you know, approach putting the, um, you know, the way you treat the artists, the way you approach putting the festivals together. Um, and so what inspired you uh, to kind of go into journalism initially and then psychology was that, um, yeah, what inspired that? Let's talk about that first. Um, the main thing that this is kind of weird, but what really inspired me to go into journalism was the fact that when I took my SAT in high school, my math score was amazing. My verbal score was not very good. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I really need to bridge that gap. Uh, I'm lacking. Not that I was inarticulate or anything, but I uh, there are a lot of uh, $50 words I didn't know. And I, I did make some grammatical errors. So I thought, you know what? I've got to bridge that gap. I want to go to journalism school. I actually started college at Syracuse University as a business major, okay. and I hated it. Yeah. So I transferred to NYU School of Journalism. It was a little closer to home, and I wanted to, I wanted to explore New York City. And so, yeah, that's really what got me into it. And I, I it turned out I really enjoyed it quite a bit. And um, then when I'm when we moved, uh, my uh, my family and I moved out to California in the early 80s, and I was languishing a bit. And my mom said, why don't you, you've always had an affinity for psychology. Why don't you go back to school and get your degree? Yeah, why not? So went to UCI, University of California, Irvine, got my master, my bachelor's in psychology. And uh I decided I wanted to go to grad school, so I took my GRE, which is basically the graduate version of the SAT. And while my math score was still better, my verbal score was also really respectable. So I did it, and it got me in, and I got my master's. My master's is in cognitive psychology, which really has nothing to do with with clinical, with trying to figure out how the mind works. It's It's more of a physical brain study thing. But that's what my science based. Um, yeah, it's more like science based. Okay. Yeah. And I um I had a teacher that was really he really motivated me so much and I, I wanted to go to grad school and continue to work with him. So that's how that happened. But yeah, um and but my journalism bug was was still itching at me and I wanted to do something. So in the mid nineties power pop started coming back and there were magazines that would spring up writing about it and i thought well why not i love power pop let's start writing reviews of uh of music mostly cds of course at that time and get to know a lot of these artists from around the world and that's pretty much what happened nice um, well, we're we're going to head out to break really quick. I, I want to pick up and talk about that because I feel like the way you write reviews was probably influenced a little bit by, you know, the way you um, developed your mind. Um, and so anyway, let's pick up with that when we come back from break. Uh, we're going to actually um, take everybody out to break with um, some IPO um, CD artists. And we're going to take you out with uh, True Margaret's um, song Syllable. And then bring you back in with the nines. Doesn't matter what I do. And um, I just wanted to ask um, before we play all these songs, uh, what made you choose those two to start with? Well, those are two of my favorite from from over the years. And I I think every one that I chose would fit into that category. So I just started. I just uh, went through my that filing cabinet in my head. Yeah. And uh, found which ones I really loved. And uh, that was it. Basically. Well, everybody, um, enjoy the songs and we'll be right back. And you're listening to Arwen Lewis on the Arwen Lewis show. My very special guest is the founder and CEO of the International Pop Overthrow Music Festival. You can look David up on Facebook under David Bash and look up the IPO website on internationalpopoverthrow.com. We'll be right back. Repeating it like a drill. Next for 
Omad Records featured artist on the Arwen Lewis show is John DiNicola. Find out more at omadrecords.com. After many years of writing and producing different artists, Academy Award winning songwriter of Time of My Life and Hungry Eyes, John DiNicola made his first album as an artist in 2019. Fast forward very fast to now. For the release of its follow-up, she said, and while DiNicola's debut, The Why Because, had him interpreting tunes he'd originally penned for others, she said was conceived and created for one voice, one touch, and one heart, his own. Everybody, uh, you're listening to Arwen Lewis on the Arwen Lewis Radio Show. My very special guest is David Bash from the International Pop Overthrow Music Festival. And um, so, David, I thought we could start uh, back into the interview by talking about uh, some of the reviews that you've written. Um, so, you've written reviews, CD reviews, um, for a few music magazines. Um, do you remember what like your first review w- was? And do you have a favorite review that you've written? And um, what what's your approach to writing a review? Like, how do you go about the process? How do you analyze the artist? And how do you come up with the review itself? It's really different depending upon the artist and, and the album that I'm reviewing. Um, what, I, what I always like to do in my review, my reviews is use as many reference points as possible. So if an artist has been influenced by or sounds like other artists, I want to mention that because... I think it's important to for people who have a certain style of music that they like, certain tastes, to be able to relate to what I'm talking about. I know a lot of people write reviews where their language is very flowery and a lot of allusions to life and things like that. They want to show off their journalism degrees. Um, yeah. but And I've read lots of reviews like that. And while they're really well written, I leave thinking, well, I don't know if I'm going to like this um, because they really haven't told me a lot about it. They've been using a lot, like I said, a lot of metaphors and a lot of vague language that sounds pretty. I just try, I try to get to the reference points so that, you know, if I say something's influenced by the Beatles, a Beatles fan might say, well, it's worth checking out anyway. Maybe I won't like it, but maybe I will. So let's go for that. And uh, so I really try to I really try to do that. I try to mention my favorite songs on the albums, usually or why I like them the way I do. Uh, So it's really and I don't I have this policy where I don't review things that I don't like. I'm not going to lie in a review if I'm if somehow someone held a gun to my head and said, you better review this record. And I hated it. I would say that. But when it's up to me. I'm going to only write about things that I like because that just jibes well with my personality. And, um, and I'm always truthful. And like I said, in every, in every review. So since I'm not, since I do my reviews without pay, I'm not beholden to anybody. And that, yeah. that gives me license to write about what I want. Uh, um, one of my favorite reviews of all time, and this relates to psychology um, one of my favorite artists, Jason Faulkner, his, uh, his uh, debut album, uh, Presents Author Unknown. I reviewed that. And in the review, I related, I related the joy of his music. And I did ultimately get to reference points, but I related the joy of his music to a rat pressing a lever um, in, order, in order to get drugs. Some of those classic drug studies. Yeah. And I started even talking about the different areas of the brain that were stimulated by that and telling people that those 
that those uh, corresponding areas in their brain will also get will get stimulated in a sim- similar way. This is like 30 years ago, so I don't remember the review really well. But I remember um, I pr- uh, when I was teaching psychology, and I did that for eight years at various community colleges. One class, I copied the review and gave it out to everybody in in class. And one of those, one of my students came up and said uh, that. Because of the review, she went out and bought the record and she liked it. So I was I was really proud of myself at that moment. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And I think it's really cool to tie science and factual things into when you're writing a review. Because I have a degree and I think it's really more important to be not so flowery because you're not there to show off like your talent as a poet if you're writing you're writing about the artist you're not the artist and so i like that you have that perspective and i think it's really cool that you tied psychology into it because it it tells the customer this is what you're going to get this is what you're going to feel when you listen to this music and it's scientifically proven (laughs) there you go yeah i mean i can't do that with every review but and, and again, you, you have to be inspired to write. There's just something clicked in my head and, and said, let's do it that way. So, yeah, there you go. Well, let's start talking about IPO. So it's been running since 1998. Congratulations. That's Thank amazing. You. Thanks, Arma. <laughs> um, how did it originate? It originated in Los Angeles, correct? Yes. Okay. So um, how'd you get that going? Well, um, there had been an existing festival in L.A. called Poptopia. Okay. Uh, which, which was great. I, uh, I, I attended them and really loved what was going on. It actually, a lot of people from around the world, uh, came out to Poptopia and I made a lot of friends that way, uh, that way. Um, the one thing about Poptopia though, it was almost all LA, almost always LA bands. Uh, and a lot i had gotten to know a lot of bands who write uh, around the from around the world through writing my reviews and a lot of them would contact me and say and ask or they'd say i i we really want to play this poptopia can, can you help us and i said well i can talk to the organizer and see if he wants uh wants some bands from out of town so i did that i said can i funnel in some bands that i know that would like to play poptopia he said sure as it turned out, you know, he only had a certain amount of room and there was a lot of demand from bands from all over the world. And so he had to turn a lot of them down. I'm sure he wasn't happy about it, but uh, he did anyway. And so they would commiserate with me about that. And I thought about it and I, I, don't know, I wanted to do something about that. So one day, this was late in 1997, I was sitting with my music attorney friend, Ben McLean, in a Carl's Jr. on Ventura Boulevard. Nice. And we were talking about that. And I said, you know what? I'd really like to do a music festival. But instead of only emphasizing local bands, let's get a bunch of bands from all around the U.S. and even all around the world, if that's possible, to come and play uh, uh, this festival. And he said, you should. And that's really all the inspiration I needed right there. And so I remember there was a, a, show, a big show coming up at Jack Sugar Shack, which is unfortunately no longer uh, with us as a venue. And I thought that would be a good place to announce it. So it was sometime in December and I announced it there. And a lot of local bands say, yeah, I'd love to play that. And I, I made sure that we were nowhere near Poptopia on the calendar. They, they were in February. Uh, I said, Let, we'll do August. That's half a year away. Yeah. And, uh, it turned out to, it worked really well. I couldn't believe how many bands from around the world accepted my invitation to play. And uh, so we probably had about half local and half from around the country and around the world. And it went it went well. And so how can people submit um, applications to play at IPO or, or do you hand select the artists? People can certainly Early on, of course, before it was online, before you could you could put your music online in the late '90s, uh, internet was still in its infancy, and there wasn't the bandwidth. I would get packages and packages of applications, wow. CDs, uh, bio, you know, press kits, the whole bit. Um, now, of course, everything's online, but people certainly can can email me and send me links to their music. 
Nice. Uh, that's really what it's about. If I like their music and I think that it fits within the parameters of what we're doing, I'm more than happy to have you play. And um, you know, now that we're doing this festival around the world, most most of the events uh, do feature lo uh, primarily local artists. Other than Liverpool at the Cavern Club, where we still have bands coming from all around the world. Nice. Liverpool is amazing. Nice. Doing this at the Cavern Club is more than amazing. So, yeah. uh, even we're going to be doing our our nineteenth uh, year next year at the Cavern Club. Yeah, big deal. That's and what I really love about IPO too is that you play in all these really rootsy like like subculture um, rich uh, rich venues, um, which is such a cool part of the music scene. And I think that's where us all, I mean, most of the greatest art and music is created because of the community that creates and the energy. It's like completely different than, you know, going to a stadium and sitting in the back row and watching Mariah Carey on a TV screen. <laughs> like you're yeah, right I there mean, with the I've had opportunities over the years to expand IPO to try and make it bigger. Um, but usually that ends up meaning I would have to compromise my vision. Mm -hmm. And the vision is always to just bring artists to the fore who deserve the exposure, to put them on bills with other artists that are like-minded, yeah. and to put them in front of people who would dig what they do. And I think keeping it at that rootsy level has al allowed that to flourish. So that, thank yeah, you for doing that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I think that, you know, you're probably one of the only person that does keep that, you know, going with this, you know, um, level of um, level of a what's the word I'm looking for? Like the prestigious, you know, it's prestigious and it's um, but it's still true to the subculture of everything. So thank it's you for keeping it's, that alive. It's true to the vision. I mean, admittedly, when we started IPO, I was hoping part of the reason I met, I named the festival International Pop Overthrow was because I wanted to overthrow. I wanted our music to overthrow what was on the radio right then, like Corn and Limp Biscuit and bands like that. Yeah. Which <laughs> didn't exactly emphasize melody. I yeah. mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to diss what they did. They had their crowds who loved it. But I wasn't into it. I wanted Melody back on radio. Um, didn't quite work out the way we hoped, but a lot of things happened that I didn't anticipate, like like the death knell of major labels and record and record stores. You know, when Napster and all that stuff came about. Yeah. Um, so that that got in the way of what we were trying to do. But hey, we're still doing it. We're do and we're doing what we can, and we're still bringing the music to the people, and that's what always will count. And we're going to um, get to show everybody some more of this melodic power pop that you've savored. Uh, right now, we're going to head out to another break and we're going to take everybody out to break with uh, the Canyons the song, Allison Fall Off the Bike, and then bring you back in with Jane Stare at the Sun. And um, th that song is Joy Acid Packed. And we'll be right back. founder and CEO of the International Pop Overthrow Music Festival, and you're listening to The Ar Arwen Lewis Show.
Hello, everybody. This is Arwen Lewis, and you're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. My very special guest today is David Bash, the founder and CEO of the International Pop Overthrow Music Festival. You can look David up on Facebook under his name, David Bash, or look up the International Pop Overthrow website at internationalpopoverthrow.com. So, David, I thought you could tell us a little bit about um, what a day is like in um, an IPO music festival and how long do all the festivals last? Well, it, it varies. I mean, um, Liverpool is eight days. Okay. As, as we like to say, eight days a week in honor of the Beatles, yeah. of course. Um, Chicago and L.A. are nine days, and that includes afternoon shows on the weekends. Uh, Liverpool is is different because we go all day uh, uh, for out of, out of those eight days, uh, four of them we go all the way through noon to like two a two a.m. Nice. Um, and um, but most you know, the other cities, we uh, if we do afternoon shows at all, there's a break between afternoon and evening. Um, most cities it's just evenings, and you know somewhere between three and five days. Okay. Uh, New York, New York is uh, four days. Boston is four days. Toronto, which is uh, is only going to be three days, but uh, five shows or four shows in that case. So it depends on the, on the city. It depends on their scene. It depends on the, the venue and what we're able to do. We always like trying to do afternoon shows on the weekends because especially if they can be all ages. Yeah. which often they can um, at the club we use in LA Redwood bar that that's the case at the club we're going to be using in Toronto in a couple of cases that's a, a couple of weeks rather that's also the case so it certainly varies um as far as like when you say what's a day like you mean at, at the event itself yeah like um how do the band switch over and how do you choose the lineup for that day do you um try to switch up genres a little bit i know it's all power pop but do you try to have some um diversity in there or how does that work yeah well that's the thing it's really not all power pop um that's what the festival was founded on and you know obviously if i find a great power pop artist that they'll be invited but you know we have singer songwriters we have indie rock we've got sometimes we have garage rock sometimes we have um you know uh alt rock so we've got all kinds of stuff there singer songwriters lots and lots of those who may come with an acoustic and it's really not power pop it's all melodic rock and roll on yeah. some level uh ideally we would love to have artists that flow well in in, in, any, in any lineup so when there's flexibility among the artists i'm able to do that other times artists are only available on certain days and so in order to accommodate that we might not uh, be able to put together the most uh, the most artistically consistent lineup but again it's all melodic rock and roll so if you're a fan of melodic music you know, you may see a singer-songwriter followed by, a, a, you know, a an indie rock band followed by a psych rock band followed by a power pop band. But there's a good chance you'll like them all because you'll like the melodies that, that they're bringing to you. So uh, as long as I stay within that, as long as I keep that ethos going, chances are no matter what the lineups are, people will will potentially like all of it. Yeah, and I mean, I know that you all, it just has such a good reputation every time because I've gotten to play a couple times in the IPO with the Yellen Bells. Um, and uh, when I tell people that I was playing down in LA, they're like, oh my gosh, I love IPO so much. Or, you know, Aww. anybody that I'm friends with in the music business, they're always just so excited about it because of what you put together. Um, and so also, um, where can fans now, uh, where can they purchase the IPO CDs? Um, do you have all of them available or what's available and how can they get a copy? Well, we're on volume 24 now, and uh, we're very, very fortunate to have as our label Omnivore Recordings. Uh, it's a label that mostly does reissues, but they've also done some current artists. And it just seemed to uh, check all the boxes for them, thankfully. And they have distribution all over the world. So that's been helpful also. Go to the Omnivore Recordings website. 
Okay. Um, and you, you'll be able to pick up the last three that we've done because we've done them all through Omnivore. Nice. Uh, if you want some of the earlier ones, contact me. Uh, go to the International Pop Overthrow website and contact me through there, and I can I can definitely set you up. Sounds great. Um, so everybody, uh, that was David Bash telling you how you can find the IPO music compilations. And this is Arwen Lewis. You're listening to the Arwen Lewis show. My very special guest is David Bash, the founder and CEO of International Pop Overthrow Music Festival. Go to internationalpopoverthrow.com for more. Find David Bash on Facebook under David Bash. And we're going to take you out to break with Yov Arbrell, uh, Doesn't Matter What, and bring you back in with um, what you don't know about the girl. And so please enjoy this music and we will be right back. Mad Records featured artist on the Arwen Lewis show is Peter Lewis. Find out more at omadrecords.com. I say we are all trying to find some connection between what goes on in our own minds and what happens in the world around us. You know, there will always be good and bad in both places. But my belief is that as long as love and not fear is that connection, there will always be hope for that better day of coming. And that's what I'd like people to get off imagination. <laughs> Before the next great song plays, let's pause to consider all the people who work tirelessly to bring us the music we love. Music Cares is music's leading national charity that provides a safety net of support and crisis relief for the music community. Everyone from musicians to tour managers, sound engineers to designers can rely on Music Cares to provide emergency financial assistance and essential resources in times of need. Find out how you can help at musiccares.org. That's M-U-S-I-C-A-R-E-S dot org. This is Arwen Lewis. You're listening to The Arwen Lewis Show. My very special guest is founder and CEO of the International Pop Overthrow, David Bash. And uh, David, so you're in New York City right now. You're just getting started with IPO in New York. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that and the upcoming um, IPO festivals in the next few months? Sure, yeah. We're going to be at, we're in New York from t- tonight through Sunday evening, including afternoon shows on Saturday and Sunday at the Parkside Lounge on Houston Street. And we're gonna have 30 bands from New York and beyond. And interestingly tonight, closing band is a band called the Malibus, uh, which features Walter Egan, who had a huge hit with Magnet and Steel, if you remember that in the late 70s. But singing along with them on their final song is none other than Jane Seymour. Nice. Yes, Bond Girl, (laughs) Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, Somewhere in Time, all that good stuff. Multiple uh, multiple uh, award-winning actress. So uh, it'll be great to meet her and watch her sing. That'll be cool. Awesome. So that's, that's she'll, she'll be there tonight. Um, and then next week, we're in Boston. 
Yeah. And uh, for our 20th year in Boston, this is our 22nd in New York. Um, so in, in Boston, we'll be at the Square Root for four nights, uh, Wednesday through Saturday, November 15th through 18th. And then the following week, uh, during American Thanksgiving, I figure, well, if I'm going to do IPO on Thanksgiving, it better be in Canada where they've already celebrated theirs. <laughs> so we'll be in Toronto at the Painted Lady from uh, Friday the 24th through Sunday the 26th. And it'll, it's all going to be a whole lot of fun. Oh, I mean, this is just so great that you've created this whole world. Um, and, you know, when your inspiration for pop music sparked all of those years ago, did you imagine that you would have come this far and created such a successful and eclectic and rootsy music festival? Did you see yourself doing this? Well, I was way too young to envision anything like that. And Woodstock had just happened uh, the, the year before. I mean, the magnitude of that was, was something that I, I couldn't have possibly envisioned. Of course, we haven't done anything like that either. But that it was like Woodstock or nothing. There was no envisioning like this grassroots kind of kind of event. But I remember a few years later when I was in college, I remember going out to dinner with the family and telling my dad, you know what? I don't know what it is that I'm going to do. And I'm not a musician, but there's something I'm going to do something in music that's going to leave a mark, whatever it is. I just have that feeling. And again, there was no inkling of doing a music festival, but I knew it was going to be something. And, uh, you know, thankfully that worked out. Yeah. Because I love well, music. I love musicians, uh, especially the ones I work with, with at IPO. They're all, they're just very, very nice. And before we, we break, I just want to give a huge thank you to my wife, Rena, because uh, she has helped me so much in putting these festivals together. She's she's actually with me in New York um, oh, great. right now. A pity she can't go to go with me to Boston and Toronto, but she's an aerospace engineer and she has to get back to work. So oh, I'm really <laughs> lucky to have her here. But um, yeah, she without her, there's no way I could be doing all the cities that, that I'm doing. And uh, so thank you, honey. She's working in the background. She's probably she's she's so much in the work zone. She probably doesn't even know what's going on right now. <laughs> well, tell her I said hi. <laughs> um, uh, oh, there's say hi. You want to come in and say hi? She's got she's got a laptop on her. Oh, no. she, she's always when she's not doing IPO, she's working. But I'm so proud of her. She has she is amazing. An international pop what do you, or no, power couple. There you go. <laughs> we try pop power couple. Gosh. Well, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to do the show, David. Um, and thank you for keeping IPO alive. Have a great week in New York City. Thank and you. everybody, we're going to take you out of this interview with Fool's Fate's song, uh, Fortunate Flowers. Please enjoy, and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for having me, Arwen. Thanks, David. Faces Some of them look like you Singled out tragically They hurried away to cleanse the view Far from the showers Fortunate flowers Grow No
The Arwen Lewis Show is brought to you by OMAD Records, featuring artist Robert LaRoche. And Robert LaRoche's music is available on omadrecords.com, Amazon, Spotify, Apple Music, and streaming everywhere. Go visit omadrecords.com to find Robert LaRoche. The Arwen Lewis Show was brought to you by Evolve Entertainment. Host and executive producer, Arwen Lewis. Executive producer, Jeremiah D. Higgins. Producer and sound engineer, Richard Dr. D. Dugan. You can find Arwen Lewis and all of her music at arwenlewismusic.com. And follow her on Instagram at arwenlewis. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.